helpers are ready. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for providing a safe and encouraging environment for our kids to learn about Jesus. We'll let you get back that way. If you're staying here, though, uh, and if you have a Bible, turn in it to Romans chapter 6, if you would. Romans chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 1 to 14. We studied these last week, but today we're, we're studying them with a different emphasis. The question that the Apostle Paul is asking uh, is basically this, why shouldn't a person keep on sinning after they've received God's forgiveness through faith in Jesus as Savior? After all, those sins are forgiven, right? So what's to stop me from doing it? In fact, maybe I should keep on sinning because doesn't God's grace look even more amazing that he saved a wretch like me, (laughs) Uh, to quote the hymn. That's a question that applies to all of us because it gets at our motives. What is the incentive for living the Christian life, after all? Why should I obey God? Especially since following Jesus and doing what he says is often very hard and it feels easier not to. So why not continue in sin? Let's read the text and let's learn the second half of Paul's answer to the question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since... You are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. That's a complicated couple of paragraphs, Lord. 
and yet you give us by your spirit understanding. And that's what we're looking for this morning because there's, there's encouragement here. There's, there's the, uh, the real answer to why we will not continue in sin once we know Jesus. There's the, the genuine reality that empowers and frees us to live as you designed us to be, as those who are in your image and who seek your will. So we ask you, Lord, open that door to us today, that door of understanding, and do in our hearts what we need done today, whether that's an encouragement, whether that's a warning. Lord, open our eyes to see the truth and the reality of all that is ours in Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, consider for a moment the situation of a hardened criminal who is in prison. Let's say he was dealing drugs, he was prostituting women, he was living a violent life, and he finally ends up in prison because he shot and killed someone. What would it take for that man to get back out on the streets and live a lawful, productive, and, and helpful life? In the world, what would it take from him to get from where he is to where where that is? Well, obviously, he'd have to first be released from prison. Um, he'd have to get his freedom again, but that by itself wouldn't be enough because if that's all that happened, he might still just go back into a life of crime, and that's what actually does happen quite a bit. What he needs, along with his freedom, is to have a change of heart. His former life of crime has to become repulsive to him, and this lawful, productive, and useful life has to become sweet to him. And that's what Paul is saying is exactly what happens to the believer in Jesus Christ. Both of those two things. First, you get released from the prison of bondage to your sin. And that was last week's message. Verse 11 says Christians must consider themselves dead to sin, which means dead to the, the, its ruling power. You can say no to it, which was something you really couldn't do before you knew Christ. You don't make yourself dead to sin. That's something that is true of you, and you must believe it. You must consider yourselves that way because it is that way. This is a change that's happened to you as a believer. You can say no to sin. But that's not all that happens for the believer. The other essential thing that happens is that you get the change of heart. You not only get released from the bondage of sin, but you get a change of heart. Sin becomes repulsive to you, and obedience becomes sweet. Obedience to God. And that's today's message. Verse 11 says Christians must also consider themselves alive to God. And like dead to sin, this is, not all, this is also something that you don't make yourselves. This is something that has happened to you, and you must believe it. So let's see how it works. I'm going to organize this under three questions. First, what does it mean to be alive to God? Two, what does this say about the sins that I still commit? And three, how does this make a difference as I move forward in life? Those are our three questions. 
Let's start with the first one. What does it mean to be alive to God? That phrase is, is a, a summary of all the language Paul uses in this passage to describe what has happened to the believer in Christ. Your, your fundamental change, internal change in you, uh, change in your situation. Let's, we'll see it first in verse 4, which says, We were buried with him, that is, with Jesus, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is drawing from the meaning of baptism to make a point here. In a baptism, a person goes down into water, stays under for a moment or two, out of sight, and then comes back up again into view. And that symbolizes something. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, why do we do that when we become Christians? We do it because in baptism, we're saying that what happened to Jesus also happens to us in union with Him. In a way that we don't fully understand, every Christian is joined to Jesus in such a complete way that when He died for our sins, we also died for our sins. And when He rose from the dead, we also rose from the dead. Paul says we were buried with him. That means the old sin-enslaved and unsaved you died when Jesus died. And that finished work became your experience the moment you trusted in him for forgiveness. That's when you became dead to sin and its ruling power and its condemnation. And then verse 5 continues the thought. It says, If we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. There the tense is future, as in something that's going to happen, which means our bodies will be resurrected also. One day, every believer in Jesus is going to be raised from the dead with a new body that cannot die and will live forever with Jesus. That is certain. That's not a question mark. If Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead. Why? Because you're joined to Him so completely that what happened to Him must also happen to you. Verse says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We will live with Jesus forever. We believe that. We're saying that in a baptism. But we're not to think that our union with Jesus in future resurrected body is all that Paul means by these things. He also means that this resurrection life has already begun for the believer. Again, verse 11 says, you must consider yourselves alive to God. And he means right now. You must already know you are alive to God. Something changed in you. To the Ephesians, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now he says, you must consider yourselves to be alive to God right now. No longer dead. Already there is life. Already there is newness of life. 
that we can walk in. That's a metaphor for going through life, walking. Now you, this new resurrected person, this, de- this person who died and rose again with Jesus, now you walk in a certain way, what he calls newness of life. Your body isn't resurrected yet, but you're different now. Your situation is different, which is you are alive to God. Other ways of saying it is you are a new creation in Christ. Or you have a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And unlike your old self that was a slave to sin, your new self was created or born again, to use John's language. It was created to love righteousness and to know God and to delight in obeying God. Verse 10 10 says, the life Jesus lives, he lives to God. So if you live with Christ in union with him, then you also live to God like He does. That is, you begin to walk in newness of life today. So to answer Paul's question, are we to continue in sin? The answer is, you won't because something new is at work in you as a believer. You will have a new distaste for sin and a new appetite for God and for righteousness. You will be making new choices, going in a different direction than sinful desires want to take you. Now you're going in the direction of obedience to God. And this will happen. In fact, this must happen because of your union with Christ. The life He lives, He lives to God. And so the life you live will also be to God because you live with Christ. That's how he lives, and in union with him, that's how you live. You weren't going in sin's direction, now you're going in God's direction like Jesus. Now, this newness, this new self, this resurrected new life, isn't really a strange idea. In fact, it's something that taps into the deepest desires of the human heart. When we think of our weaknesses, when we think of our failures, when we think of our sins honestly, we want some kind of change, don't we? And marketers know this, (laughs) which is why they do well in selling products that offer a whole new you, right? Imagine the new you. Uh, Follow this diet for 90 days and you can look like this and your life will be changed, right? And the before picture, you know, they always look not just overweight, but sad and shabbily dressed and, you know, in a broken down place. And then the after picture, you know, they're not only skinny, they're also like radiant and they're wearing new clothes and they're sitting by a pool in a resort in Tahiti. You know, look what our, look at the new you, look what our product can do. It's 90 days away, Right. They know that there's that longing in our hearts that, that, that we want change. I can tell you that whatever people are selling as the new you doesn't hold a candle to the new you that happens the moment you put your trust in Jesus. 
because that's when you become the human that God designed you to be. That's when you become like Christ in a whole new way, united to him, joined to him, the dead, sin-enslaved self gone, the new self that's alive to God, present, and then a resurrected body to follow down the road. That's better than anything that's being sold to you as the new you. You already have the new you if you're in Christ. We still need to grow into it. We'll talk about that. But a fundamental change has happened in your situation. You can't see it necessarily, but you'll see its effects more and more as we go further in Christ. What exactly, though, is this newness of life that we walk in? I mean, how do we describe it? Well, here's what we know from the text. First off, it means that you do say no to sin, as we've already learned. You sin less because now it doesn't rule you. And that's a very good thing because sin is not your friend, but your enemy. Nobody's life was ever improved by walking away from God who is the source of life. That's the direction of death. And now you can say no to that. That's amazing, and that's partly why you're not going to continue in sin. Um, but newness of life is more than just saying no to sin. Christianity is not mainly about what we say no to, but about what we say yes to. It would be an unhappy believer whose main occupation every day was just to resolve what we're not going to do. All right, today, I am not going to yell at the kids. You know, today, I'm not going to be lazy. Today, I'm not going to spend too much. Now, those are good resolves, but that's not all that life has for the believer. <laughs> Newness of life is not experienced only in what we say no to, but what we say yes to. And what we say yes to, what Jesus has liberated us to say yes to, is God himself relationship with him and doing his will, which is good and acceptable and perfect, as we'll see when we get to Romans 12. It's what Jesus does. It's, it's being able to say yes to the life Jesus lived. So what kind of life did he live? How does he live to God? Well, Luke 5.16 says, Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So he cultivated this intimate relationship with God, his Father, day by day. And so will we. We will be hungry to know God through his word. And we'll talk to him in prayer. That's newness of life. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so that's going to be our food, too. <laughs> We're going to say, Lord, what does Scripture say is your will for us? Well, then doing that is my food. That's where I'm going to be satisfied. What particular uh, work do you have for me, given my gifts, my resources, my circumstances? What's your particular plan for me in this life? That's where I'm going to find satisfaction. That's my food. That's newness of life, thinking that way. John 8, 29, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So that's what we want to do. 
Um, we want to please God. It's my delight to do the things that are pleasing to Him. That's newness of life. We get pleasure out of doing what pleases God. That's the life we're created for. And that is no sacrifice. It's pleasure to those who are united to Christ. Because He lives to God, and so we will live to God. Many of you have experienced this new you, this change. I know I have. And I know the change has to be coming from God, from union with Christ, because I could never change myself. <laughs> it has to be given as a gift through faith in Jesus. Before I was a Christian, I never thought praying was important. You know, unless it's the foxhole prayer, like I'm about to die, Lord help me. You know, then I could see that might be practical. Um, but I never, you know, praying, why would anybody do that? I mean, close your eyes, you're talking into the room. What is that? Now, I can't go a day without praying. I can't do life <laughs> without talking to God and pouring out my heart to Him. But that's the change that He puts there. Before I was a Christian, I read the Bible one time. It was a paraphrased version, so easier to read and understand, right? And I did not get anything out of it at all. Nothing stuck. But now, when I read it, I can't read more than a chapter in my devotions because there's too much in there that matters, <laughs> that applies, that it describes the world and me and, and the hope. That's a change, God puts that change in us. Before I was a Christian, I thought people who shared the gospel were religious fanatics to be mocked, and I did. <laughs> now I want to be one of those fanatics. <laughs> Many of you can say similar things about your life before and after Christ, how you got free from drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality, how you grew to love Jesus, how He was there for you in your dark days, how He's sustaining you day by day, how you have hope when it looks like you should have no hope. You have testimonies like that. And why do you have those experiences? It isn't because you resolved to be a, you, a new you one day. It's because in Christ you've been united with Him in a resurrection like His. He lives, and so you live because you're not united to Him. When he rose 2,000 years ago, that was the day your new life was sealed and guaranteed. And it became yours the day you put your faith in Jesus. It became your experience, your reality. That's when you got the new heart and an appetite for Jesus. That's when you became dead to sin and alive to God. So the real power behind what we call sanctification, which is growing in Christ-likeness, it's not personal resolve to do better, though there will be resolved, resolve, but the true power is that you are united to Christ in his resurrected life. That's the reality that will make us not continue in sin. To answer Paul's question, I'm crackling all over the place. Am I doing something wrong here, Jared? Okay. New, now I just pulled the thingy off. All right, I'll put it in my pocket. All right, let's keep going. We have to ask our second question. 
what does this say about the sins I still commit? What are the implications, I guess, of walking in this newness of life? Because this all sounds very good, right? I'm a united to Christ, I got new life, I'm going in a new direction, and yet I know that I still have sins. So what do I think about that? What does this say about the sins I still commit? So here's where I'm going with that question. There's two kinds of people that are addressed by this reality of the believer walking in newness of life. There's the person who has a sensitive conscience about their sin, and when you hear about this newness of life, this new appetite for God, you're not encouraged because you don't feel that way. You wonder if you're even saved, if that's how it's supposed to be. And for you, you need an encouragement. But there's another kind of person whose conscience is not bothered by their sin. When you hear about the newness of life, this appetite for God, you kind of tune that out a little bit, and you fall back on the idea that if your sins are really forgiven by faith alone and not by works, then it really isn't a problem if day by day you just do what you want without living to God intentionally. That somehow it all comes out in the wash. And you need a warning if that's you. So let me address the second group first. Here's the undeniable truth from this passage. It is impossible to continue in sin if you are a genuine Christian. By Paul's meaning of continue in sin. It is impossible to continue in sin if you are a genuine Christian. What Paul means by that is it's impossible to tolerate sin without being bothered, bothered by it. And it is impossible that you make no progress in sinning less if you are a true Christian. That can't happen because everyone who's united to Christ in his resurrection will live to God as Jesus does. Not that you'll do it perfectly, not that you won't ever sin again, but to be indifferent to your sin and have no appetite for God and no progress in holiness is impossible if you are really united to Christ. If that describes you, you have no grounds for believing yourself to be a Christian. Where there is new birth, there will be growth. No, no growth argues for no birth. Now, that's a hard thing to say. And I don't say that lightly because the last thing that I want to do is put doubt in a genuinely saved person's heart about their salvation. I want to encourage that person, and I will. But it would be worse to not unsettle someone who needs to be unsettled if, in fact, you're not saved. Because otherwise, what you will hear from Jesus on the last day is, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I can't know anybody's heart in this room. I'm not the judge of your spiritual condition, ultimately. But God knows our hearts. The Lord knows those who are His and who is not. You can fool others, you can even fool yourself, but you can't fool God. 
So maybe the Lord is speaking to one or two people this morning about this. Maybe you've been listening and you realize you're not in the picture that Paul is painting here. You and sin have been getting along just fine. You don't really have an inner motivation to pursue the Lord or do what pleases Him or accomplish His will. There's really no difference between what you want out of life and what the non-believer wants out of life. You can't really say that you are different from them. And I hope you're warned this morning that you are on dangerous ground. I hope you're provoked to admit you are outside of Christ and not saved from your sins. But I hope you also realize that today is the day of salvation. And He is reaching out to you in love to give you newness of life. If you're experiencing any conviction about your sins right now, if you're seeing yourself in that picture, then that means God is at work drawing you to himself and he wants to give you eternal life. So admit your sins to God this morning. Tell him you're sorry and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus to forgive those sins and give you newness of life. And if you do that, he will come in. He will change your situation. He will give you the new you through faith. And if you do that, tell somebody about it. Tell your parents, your friend, your pastors. And we'd love to be glad glad to talk to you about that and talk about next steps. Let me address the second group. The genuine believers who have sensitive consciences and are troubled by the implications of this passage. Because you know you fail. You know you sin. You sometimes feel cold towards God. And you are concerned that maybe that argues that I'm not the real thing. Maybe I'm not joined to Christ. You wonder if there's really anything different about you since professing faith in Jesus. Well, here's where you can find encouragement. To be dead to sin does not mean that you never sin. We talked about that last week. Even Christians sin, which is why verse 13 is an exhortation to not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you may obey its passions. Paul has to exhort genuine believers that way because sin still holds an attraction to us. It's our habit learned over many years. And some habits and some ways of thinking are just hard to break. Dead to sin means you can say no to sin. It doesn't mean that you will always say no. But if your sin bothers you and you want to change, that should be a great encouragement to you because it does mean your inner appetites have changed. It means that once what would not have bothered you now does bother you. Now you really are alive to God and you know it because you hate the sin that He hates. And you want to please Him. And that's newness of life. John said it this way in 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you see, it's not the person who says, I have sin, who is deceived. 
but the one who says, I have no sin. That's the person who's deceived. But the one who says, I have sin and knows it and, is, and feels it, doesn't want it to be there, the truth is in that person. That person is not deceived. That person has newness of life. If you're bothered by doing what's not pleasing to God, it's because the truth is in you. And if the truth is in you, it means you have newness of life. Richard Sibbs was a pastor in the distant past who spoke encouragement about this. He wrote a book called The Bruised Reed, and he gives an illustration. He says, dust particles are in a room before the sun shines, but they only appear then. None are so aware of corruption as those whose souls are most alive. I want to say that again. Dust particles are in a room before the sun shines, but they only appear then. You know that if you've ever swept and the dust starts to fly up, and if the sun's coming through the window, all of a sudden it's like, now I can't even see across the room, right? But they were there already. But it wasn't until the sun was shining through that you could see it. And he says, nobody is so aware of corruption as those whose souls are most alive. The ones who know and understand what it is because they've, they've been quickened by the Spirit. And they, have, they are alive to God. Then sin all of a sudden seems like sin. And seems bad, and we are discouraged about it. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters of tender conscience. You might see yourself to be more sinful than you were, but it's only because the light of Christ is shining in your soul. More is going on in your life than what you know and see. And I hope our meetings and our discipleship groups will be places where we're encouraging each other in this. We can't always see what God is doing in our own lives. Others can be more objective. It's one of our privileges in fellowship and in discipleship groups to encourage one another day after day with how we see God at work in one another. To hear testimonies like that is great, but also go up to a brother and sister and say, hey, I'm just encouraged. I noticed this. You know, I think God is at work here. That's, that's what we have the privilege of doing for each other. Because we are going to struggle. We're going to have down days. We're going to feel like, am I even a Christian? And we need somebody to come alongside us and say, yeah, I really think you are. <laughs> and here's the evidence of it, which is even more encouraging than just hearing, yeah, I think you're a Christian. Well, you might be wrong. <laughs> but evidence is harder to refute. Let's close with one more question. It has to do with personal application. How does this make a difference as I move forward in life? We've seen that believers will not continue in sin that grace may abound. They won't fall into that misunderstanding that the gospel frees us to sin more. Actually, the gospel is the only thing that can make us walk in newness of life. But having said that, one might think, well, walking in newness of life is therefore automatic. After all, Jesus lives, I'm joined to Jesus, I live, and so doesn't it just happen? Don't I just automatically start doing things differently? Don't I just automatically start living a holy life? And so it doesn't require really any effort from me, right? I don't have to work at it. But that's not the case. 
It's not automatic, and it does require our effort. Because remember, it's walking in newness of life. You have newness of life, but now you still have to walk in it. Picture it this way. If, if a person with an amputated leg gets a prosthesis so that now he can walk again, he can run a marathon. He couldn't when he didn't have the prosthesis. But now he can run the marathon. A fundamental change has happened to him. But he's still going to have to train, right, before he can get there. You can do it, but you have to do it, <laughs> right? So it is with us. A fundamental change has, have, has happened. You're alive to God. You're, you have newness of life, but now you've got to walk in it. Now there's something to do. And we see that in Paul's exhortations here. Here's what you and I have to do as we move forward every day of our lives. Two things. The first thing is rely on the fact of your new life in Christ. Rely on it. He uses the word consider. Verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The operative word is consider or reckon or rely on as truth. Paul's not commanding us here to make ourselves dead to sin or make ourselves alive to God. He's saying, you are dead to sin, you are alive to God, now believe that. That's where you start. You have to start with that truth. Any progress in, making, in walking in newness of life has to start with believing that sin is not your master and that Jesus is in you, <laughs> that you're joined to Him and you have His life. It doesn't start with your resolve to do better, better, though there are resolves. It starts with what you believe. And we have to start there because otherwise we can really easily start putting our hope in our progress, putting our hope in how well we're doing walking in newness of life, instead of putting our hope in the source of that life and what He has already done which is die on the cross for your sin and raise to give you life. And then it becomes all about duty and doing and feeling good on the days where you're doing well and bad on the days when you're doing badly. And you think my acceptance with God goes up and down depending on my performance. But that's not true. You're already dead to sin. You're already alive to God in Christ. Now walk in it. You already have the acceptance. Now go run with that. What steadies us, what gives us encouragement along the way is the knowledge that in Christ, God sees you as righteous and He accepts you apart from your progress in holiness. It takes the fear out of our failures. It helps us pursue God out of acceptance instead of to get it. So that's the first thing to do. It's consider. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And that means looking for those reminders in Scripture that tell you again about God's love, His steadfast love, His unbreaking, never-failing, grab-you-by-the-ankles love for everybody who's His. You know, we look for those things. We, we keep ourselves in the love of God, as Jude said, by, by remembering it, <laughs> by living out of it. I'm secure. I'm in Him. It's good with me. He sees me as righteous. It's finished. 
We look for that stuff in Scripture. We meditate on our position in Christ. And it, me- it means memorizing passages to help us with that. About how God is for you. So that we can call those things to mind when we need them. And we're going to need them. It means keeping the reality of our salvation before us a lot. <laughs> That's how we'll consider But it doesn't end there. Some Christian authors teach that it does end there. That all you need to grow in holiness is to believe more in your justification. And I'm quoting an author on that. And that that's all you need in order to grow. And that's not all you need because that's not all that Paul says we need. He goes on. Here's the second thing we do. We put into practice the new life in Christ. We have to put it into practice. We have to do something with it. We have to take the next step. This comes from verses 12 and 13. We're exhorted there to resist the temptations of sin. He says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's about choosing not to give in to the porn, or to the sinful anger, or to the self-righteous blog post, or the overindulgence of entertainment, or whatever it is that, that passion that tempts you to obey it. We have to resist. We do need resolve. We do need to take seriously Jesus' shocking statement that if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. We need to take seriously what Paul said to the Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. And to Timothy, flee youthful passions. This is not just believing more in the gospel. This is a daily turning from sin. This is intentional. This is what we do because we believe the gospel. It's what we do because we know we can flee these things. But it's about more than saying no, it's also about saying yes. The positive command in verse 13 is this. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is active. This is what Paul also said to Timothy. He said, flee youthful passions, but he also said, pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace along with those who call on the Lord Jesus from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, he said. Yeah, flee immorality, say no to that, but pursue righteousness, say yes to that. And what is righteousness? It's everything that God has told us about himself and what, well, how he's made us and why he's made us that way. It's his will. It's his good and perfect will. That's righteousness. He says, pursue that, go after that, find out what it is and then do it. Take the next step. Do the next thing that looks like obedience. Do the next thing that looks like trust. This is you thinking, what command or work has God enabled me to do and called me to do today? Whatever that is, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do because He's enabled me to do it. Because He's given me an appetite to do it. And then you do it. You do the next thing. You put into practice your new life in Christ. What you do is going to be guided by Scripture, obviously, but also by God's unique call on your life. We're all in a different place, got different gifts, different circumstances, 
for me to, uh, to live out the newness of life God has given me, it, sometimes it looks like sitting in front of a computer for 10 hours writing a sermon because that's His calling on my life. And so that's walking in newness of life. I wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't a believer. Um, sometimes it might mean I, I go to Mary and I confess impatience. Um, that's walking in newness of life. It might mean I got to go to my neighbor and, and ask him over for dinner because I know that he's a non-Christian and I'm a Christian and I live next door to him. And who else is he going to hear the gospel from? So I go do it. I mean, you put it into practice. That's newness of life. I don't, it looked different for, for you, for each one of us, but the bottom line is that being dead to sin and alive to God opens up this world of possibilities of service for God's glory. Because verse 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin can't keep you from that anymore. You're free to live for God. You're free to say no to sin and yes to, to righteousness. And as we do it, God is going to work in this world and in our lives, so we can be sure of that. So, to close, let's just rely on the fact of our new life in Christ. If you're a believer, you have it. You're set, you're secure in Him. He loves you, He's for you, He's, he's forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. So rely on that, consider that. <laughs> And then do the next thing. Put it into practice. Go and serve Him out of that truth and experience His, his promises coming true and His presence with you as you do it. Let's pray. I know we only touched on this chapter, this passage, the riches that are there. But Lord, I pray that You'd uh, cause this to stick in our minds that these truths would get down into our soul, that we'd have a lightness, a burden lift. Uh, I'm thinking of the ones who are genuinely saved and who are troubled about their sins, and they know they don't measure up, but Christ measured up, and so we have His righteousness now. And on that basis, you love us. You're, you've accepted us. You're for us. You're with us. You're empowering us. And so I pray that you encourage them in that today. And Lord, if there's anyone who genuinely is not saved, who does not have this life, that now you will do it. Now you will do that miracle and quicken their heart and give them repentance and faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.